Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Waiting for Lynn to figure it out here. And we're back, continuing on with the discussion on Bigfoot, negative energy entities pretending to be Bigfoot, other things pretending to be Bigfoot, and portals. And we are back once again with Kat and Dave the Deliverer. Hey, hey, he got it. Cool. Yep. Can right you hear on. me all right? Yeah, I can hear you pretty good. If you can get a little bit better up closer on the phone or whatever, uh, don't use hands-free. That makes you hit a signal. Okay, let me turn off the hands-free then. Plus, it gives feedback. I can hear myself when you add it on. Okay, now I took the hands, hands-free off. Yeah, I made Kevin do that the last time, and he's like, dude, I usually do this hands-free all the time. My arm is killing me. <laughs> yeah, get used to it, man. I do three-hour shows sometimes. My arm's killing me, too. <laughs> yeah. My phone's a little small, so sometimes yeah. I have trouble holding on to it. Yeah, mine isn't a weight issue, either. It's one of those little bitty things. If I drop it, it'll probably shatter or something. It'll fall busy, 
phones. Okay, well, you've been on the show before. You know what the rules are. Just no excessive swearing, and don't ever call me Brian. I always call me Duke on the air. Now my friends yep. call me Brian anyway. <clears throat> and um, is there anything that you didn't want me to ask questions on or anything? I know you don't want to get into the DNA thing. Are you going to mention that yeah. they gathered anything? or? Yeah, we got to stay away from the DNA part and uh, just no names, and I can't name the town. Okay. Can we mention that it's the same town you were in previously and that whole thing? Yeah. Okay. They tell me everything's cool as long as I don't don't mention the town or any of the names. They don't mind me talking about it as long as that, that rule is, isn't broken. All right. Okay. Well, let me do us a, a quick uh, intro here. If there's anybody you want to do a shout-out to or anything, uh, think about that. As soon as they bring on, you can shout-out them. Meanwhile, I'll blame hey. on here for a minute. Yeah, no problem. All right, just make a break in the file here so that I can find it when I'm looking at it. Three, two, one. Big Sky Howdy, and welcome back to another episode of World Bigfoot Radio. You are listening to the mellifluous tones of The Duke. Coming to you, as usual, from World Bigfoot Radio, centered high somewhere in the vastness of the Rocky Mountains in western Montana. And I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. By the time you're hearing this, New Year's might even be over. Hope you had a great holiday season. And uh, don't get all depressed because winter is here. Because the sooner it's over with, the sooner we can get back out and do some squatching again. For those of you that are down in the deep south, hey, enjoy your winter. Get out there and do some squatching. (laughs) But uh, I'd like to thank everybody for the uh, Christmas greetings. I'd like to... Thank the people that sent me Christmas cards. Thanks, Grizz, for the awesome Christmas card from you. Thanks, Wes, for the Christmas card from you. And I'd like to thank Wes for the uh, the Sasquatch Chronicles mug that he sent me. Now, anybody else out there that may have gotten one of these knows what I'm talking about here. But when heavy duty is like an understatement on this thing. It's ridiculous. I mean, I was like, you could like take a wooden handle and attach this thing to it and use it for a mace head. It's ridiculous. I don't know. You probably couldn't break it if you ran it over with a tank, let's just say. And it looks awesome, too. So huge thumbs up on the quality of the merchandise there. And thanks to Wes for sending it on over to me. Awesome Christmas present. Really appreciate it, buddy. Hope you had a great Christmas. And anyway, enough blabbing for me. Let's get on to the show and bring on our returning guest, as you may have uh, heard these episodes before. He was on an episode where, when he was young, he actually had an encounter with the Type 4S, the Genosqua, and later on, he ended up having a bad run-in with some Bigfoot uh, up in another state further north, and uh, ended up actually being out fishing at night, and had to shoot one of the suckers to get out of there alive again. It was an episode called Bigfoot Eats Lead. And uh, he's going to give us a little update on what's been happening around that same area since then. Um, We cannot tell you the exact area, name of the town, or give you names of people. This is all being excluded for a reason, so don't ask. And by the end of the show, it should be obvious why. Um, But with that, let me bring on our returning guest. Welcome, very warm welcome back. Uh, Welcome back, Lynn. Hey, thank you, thank you. I agree with you. I hope everybody's had a great Christmas. I was just kind of home doing my own. Uh, yeah, we were intending this to get this show on a lot before me running in and out of the hospital kind of put us back a bit getting this done. Uh, 
Hey, it's yeah. a recurring theme here. All my guests seem to keep going in and out of the hospital all the time. <laughs> They're like one foot in the grave and the other on a slippery banana peel. <laughs> Yeah, I ain't quite there yet, but I'm running in and out, in and out well, you, with my innards acting up, though. <laughs> well, you just had a little mishap here uh, a couple days ago where you fell from a little step stool and whacked your head on the ground real good and had to go out to the hospital and spend a few days there and come back yeah. again. So, uh, man, I'm glad you didn't get more seriously injured, and I'm sorry that you had to spend some time in the hospital, but I'm glad you're back out again and you can actually come on the show and, and record the story now. Yeah, that crack on the head was a pretty good one. We ended up with a couple of hairline fractures and getting my scalp glued together there. <laughs> wasn't oh. fun. It's been about 10 days in. But we got rid of the bad headaches and also we're ready to rock and roll. <laughs> All right, Matt. Okay, well, so the last uh, episode that you were on, you were talking about an incident that happened a long time ago. Uh, how yeah. long ago was it? Like, 25, 30 years ago. It's hard for me to remember now. It's been a few episodes. Yeah, it was somewhere. Uh, let's see. The first time. Remember, right? It was like in the nineteen late 1980s, I think it was. But, yeah, it's it's been a while. And, uh, yeah, this also happens down in the area where I used to go hunting a lot when from the time I was like 14 years old on up until I got disabled. And uh, I had I had uh, went down there with a friend, if y'all remember from before, and uh, took me back down and we met up, uh, went to the little store in the town that we used to stop in all the time and uh, talked to them just, a little bit. Just yep. for the folks that maybe haven't heard the previous episode or heard it and don't remember all the details, you used to go down to this area all the time and you were on really good terms with all the local farmers and stuff because you would eliminate the pests around there for them, shoot the coyotes and whatnot. So they gave you access to their property to do that. And then in return, they'd let you go hunt there and stuff. So you you yes. were like on really close terms with all these local people in this area. Yes. Uh, like I said, I've been going to that area since I was 14 years old and, uh, hunting and, uh, had been down there long enough to people. It's a you know a small town, less than 400 people. And during that time, uh, the coyotes were starting to come up down there pretty bad. And stopping at the little store, uh, got to know the lady that was running it and the older gentleman that would sit in there and talk all day, like most normal small towns. And after I'd been going there long enough, the people started to get to know me, and yeah, I ended up pretty much down there. I had to run uh, all the farms down there because uh, me and my friend that hunted with me all the time, uh, they knew us, knew that gates would get closed and everything, so we, the people got to owe us, know us well enough that... Uh, didn't even have to call anybody or anything. They knew my car, and if they saw my car, they knew we were there, and everything was cool. I didn't have to call ahead because the people had known me long enough and they and trusted me. Yeah. So I became well known and pretty friendly with everybody. And uh, 
hunted down there till I got disabled and couldn't hunt anymore. But it had been quite a while since I got disabled, and a friend of mine took me down to the little store. We went to visit his parents, which lived in a small town. It's about eight miles or nine miles away, something like that. And while we were there, we went to the little, you know, and I'm like, hey, we're close. Let's go over there and see if I know anybody. And went over there, and uh, the lady running the store now was a daughter of the lady that had it that I knew. And uh, she recognized me, but I didn't, you know, remember her because the last time I'd seen her, she'd been like 10 or 12 years old, something like that. (laughs) Right. And uh, I found out that, yeah, most of the people I knew had passed on and the farms had been passed down to sons and daughters and everything. And surprisingly found out that even though I didn't know most of them, they had heard about me and my friend and knew who who we were, although I, you know, I really didn't know them because they were kids when I was down right. there. Everybody pretty much knew me from... They all remembered you from when they were little kids. <laughs> but you yeah. didn't remember them because they all look different. They're adults now. <laughs> yeah. It, it was surprised me quite a bit. I found out that, you know, they remembered me and even some, you know, they're old enough now that they have children and ended up finding out because I was, in, you know, invited down for a get-together a little bit later that their kids had heard of me, too, because their parents had told them about when we come down there. And the run-ins that I had with uh, the foots down there that where we had to shoot our way out and and all, which surprised me quite a bit. <laughs> but So uh, what, what was it, like a, 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 to, a get-together or a Tom picnic, or how'd you get together with everybody? Uh, okay. Yeah, like I said, we went down there, and I kind of met the new people, and the lady that's running the store now, like I said, her is was the daughter of the lady that I knew, and uh, her mother had retired and passed the store to her, and it had passed away. But, right. yeah, they remembered me, and, you know, we had a nice talk and everything, and, and uh, she asked for my phone numbers, and... Uh, gave me a number for her that I could could call and call. So it's kind of, you know, them connected, you know, we kind of connected back together a little bit. Right. And uh, that happened uh, back in either late spring or early summer, something like that. And I don't remember exactly when it was. It's been long enough now that since all this stuff's happened, I don't remember when it was late July or August, when I got a call from the young lady at the store, and they were quite uh, upset, and basically asked me if I could come down there and hunt, hunt the Bigfoots down for them, Uh-oh. and all. And, uh, what uh, you know, I basically told you know I don't have my guns and all now. I've had to sell them all off, and I you know, have mobility issues, so, you know, me getting out and trying to hunt isn't really a whole lot possible at the moment. And hey, so... Get your track wheelchair. Get out there. Come on, man. 
<laughs> we'd have to have a six, you know, a six wheeler <laughs> or a good, real good four wheeler. Armored six wheeler with tread units, electrified surface. We'll start rigging it up. <laughs> yeah. So uh, she's back, you know, basically asked me, you know, well, we've got people hunting. How do we, how do we kill these things? Jesus, that's like, bad. Yeah, and, you know, I'm asking, like, okay, what's going on? And so she said, what had happened, like, when we were down there before, you know, basically after I had to shoot my way out, they said, you know, the they'd been coming into the community at night, you know, and they had scared some people, but nobody, you know, they hadn't tried to hurt anybody. And after we had our little shootout, I guess things ramped up for a while before they settled back down about, you know, trash cans getting knocked over, you know, beating on the sides of houses when they're going by, you know, stuff just being agitated. And after a, a while, that all calmed down out. But what brought this on was one of the houses there in the main town area where the creek comes through, and we figured that's where they're coming up. Uh, one of the uh, houses had a small boy and a girl that was around, I think, in the area of like 12 or 13 years old, were sitting on a couch watching TV, and the blind was open where you could see in the house, and one of the foot smashed through a window and tried to grab the girl. Oh, geez. And it missed, thank God, but... uh, that definitely upset everybody in the community. Yeah, I can see how that might do it. That wasn't just peeking at the kids. Yep. It was definitely something that scared everybody bad and put it to the point where, you know, this is no, you know, them being here is no longer acceptable. Mm. So, you know, like I said, they asked me, if I come down and hunt these things, and I told them I can't, they're like, oh, well, okay, we've got hunters. How do we kill this thing? And, you know, I told them, you know, body shots, their organs kind of aren't in the same place you would think ours are. So basically, you're looking for head and neck shots to bring them down, and it's going to have to be heavy either you know, buckshot or slug, especially since they're in town where they're coming in, it's most, you know, the houses are a bit close, and so you don't want, you know, heavy caliber rifles going off. Nothing that's going to carry a half mile and go through a wall. Yeah. So, you know, I called you and talked to you about it, told you about it, and, you know, at the time, I was worried. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, hell, you know, this is going to be bad. Somebody's going to get killed and everything. So, you know, I was really worried about it, and I knew it kind of worried you a bit, too. But for obvious yeah, reasons, you worried a lot, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my biggest fear was I'm sitting here thinking somebody's going to get killed or a bunch of somebody's going to get killed. Uh, surprisingly... Even this old country boy that had been in the city for a while underestimated and forgot about, hey, country people can come up with a surprising, uh, uh, see, what do we want to say? 
ways of getting things done, I guess. <laughs> Improvise, and, adapt, overcome. Yep. Uh, and surprisingly, it came out that we had a bunch of vets down there. We ended up, they come up with uh, three. Now, before you get that far ahead, how did you find out about all this? Because we were sitting there in suspense for a long time wondering what was going on. When did you get feedback from them finally? Well, uh, I had been in the hospital for a little bit and had just come back home, and this was in, uh, what, November? Yeah, it was, I think, mid-November, something like Mm -hmm. that. I'd come home from the hospital, and I got a call from the lady at the store. And they invited me down to, you know, a get-together, which is kind of, I don't want to call it a town meeting or all, but... uh, Town picnic or something. Yeah, kind of like, you know, a community picnic type deal. Right. And at that time, it was still fairly warm, but I got home from the hospital, and she calls and invites me down, and I'm like, well, I don't have you know, a car to drive down there right now or anything. So she was like, uh, you know, hey, we'll send somebody to come and get you. Just give me directions. And so I'm like, okay. And it turned out, you know, uh, sent a young man to pick me up who turned out to be the grandson of the guy that had the pig farm, which was, if I remember right, the first farmer that, gave me permission to hunt on his land down there, which was beside his land butted up against where I went hunting all the time. Right. So, I mean, he was like the first one to allow me to hunt his property. And, you know, from there, I gained, pretty much gained the trust of the whole town starting from there. And uh, so we went down here for this cookout. And when I got there, like I said, I've got mobility issues and I got nerve damage. And so it's like when I got down there and the lady from the, that runs the store now kind of found out, you know, I got trouble using, you know, knives and forks to cut stuff up, et cetera. After, you know, she saw that, she cut my pork tops and everything else up for me. And pretty much from that point on, I didn't have to get up and get a drink or anything else. The people were just fantastic. And I was sitting down there and ate like a little pig. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, at, when it came kind of time to go home, somebody snuck off to the Walmart that was like 10 miles or something away and bought a bunch of plastic containers and come back. And I came home with so much good food. <laughs> I, didn't, awesome. I didn't have to fix nothing to eat for over a week. I, I ate good that week. But, so you know, this, I was... The town meeting here or your picnic or whatever, this is where the... They gave you the update on what had been happening and all everybody that like somehow already knew you <laughs> wanted to meet you that you didn't actually know who they were at the time. That's where all this happened. Yeah. I, you know, I found out that even, you know, the great grandkids or the people that I knew knew who I were or who I was because they had been told by their parents and grandparents about, what happened to me and my friend when we were down there hunting and ran into these things, which right. really shocked me. But, yeah, we had a great time, and I ate good, and that's where we got an update 
from what was going on. And that's where I found out that, you know, I had really underestimated the people down there, which surprised me, you know, being from the country, I should have figured, hey, you know, they're going to come up with something. And it turned out that we had quite a few vets, you know, veteran combat veterans that came from the town. And they come up with three seven-man teams that had at least two combat vets on each team. And they had one gentleman that was a Vietnam War vet that was like in his very late 80s or early 90s. And he taught these guys how to set up booby traps, which they didn't really booby traps. It was more like they, he used his knowledge and taught them how to put up uh, traps that when the foot comes through would let them know they're coming. So it's, it's like... Uh, from the time the lady called me and, you know, I gave them the information, this is, you know, what the only way you're going to guarantee them, you know, to get rid of them, shoot them in the neck or the head. Right. Uh, they took and scoured the area and found where all the trails came in off the creek bed that they were coming up into the town on. And in the town, they have three buildings that are made in the old-style where they got the flat roof with like a two and a half or a three foot ledge that runs around the outside with you know drain holes in it for the, the water to run off from the rain. Suffers. And it just so happened that one was the store, the other one is I guess you would call the town meeting hall, and the third one was the police station. And it just so happens that those three buildings were situated for all all the trails coming into down come up they could cover all the trails coming into the town from one was on what would be the east side of the creek was the town hall on the west side of the creek was the grocery store and on what is considered main street and the the road that goes over the the uh, creek from the town they cover straight down that line the two east and west buildings covered all the the uh, trails that came off the creek, and the police station covered the main drag and then down the bridge. So they had all the ways that they could come into the town easily covered from those three vantage points. And like I said, they come up with three teams of seven men, and six of them were carrying shotguns with a mixture of uh, double-lot bucks and slugs, and one man had a high-powered rifle on each team, and they came up with night vision and thermals for the guys. And uh, this way, they were able to see anything moving on the trails coming into town. Right. And all, all three of the riflemen had rifles with thermals uh, hunting scopes on them. And so you had two people that were covering, looking through the brush with thermal and night vision, and then you had a rifleman with a, a thermal hunting scope. And surprisingly, when they, the first time they were set up and the foot's coming in, uh, they got a really big surprise. Which part of town did they come in on? Do you remember? Did they tell you? 
uh, when they came in, started in the first time after the guys set up, they were coming in to the trail that came off the creek that came in front of, came out in front of the uh, town meeting hall. Wow. And uh, like I said, you had six men on shotguns, and they had it set up for, you know, basically the first two hunters would fire shotguns and they had ones after that and when they unloaded then you had a third round where they could keep continue fire going <clears throat> and they had spotlights for each team on the roof of the buildings so the guy with the with the thermals see them coming up the trail and when they got on onto the top of the trail where they were by you know by the road the guys on top of the meeting hall, hit them with a spotlight, and then the shotgun started unloading on them. And the first two dropped immediately, and then they know they hit the, the there was four of them in that group. The first two that were hit dropped immediately, didn't move, and they know they hit the ones behind them because they come up and grabbed and pulled the ones that had been first shot down back into the creek and run. And it was a couple hours later that two more came up the trail that came in front of the store. And the first one that was up the trail when they hit the spotlights, they said that it was covered in blood and they hit it and the one behind them, but they were able to get back down, you know, the creek bed. So they're, you know, they weren't positive about kills on that, but there wasn't any more activity for the rest of that night past that point. So we're pretty sure at that point we've got two dead and two wounded, but they're not sure how bad. Wow. You know, the, the fact that they actually tried to come up again by a different route the same night what the yeah. hell was their intention? You know, at, I think at that point they were trying, thinking they were going to try an exact revenge. That's what I'm thinking. But then again, yeah. what was the intention of the one that broke in the window to grab the kid in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. At, at that point, the town had been living with them for many, many years. Like I said, from before, and it's kind of like everybody knew they was there. But everybody pretty much, you know, after dark, nobody really moved around unless they had to. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, other than them peeking in windows and scaring somebody or raiding the trash cans, they hadn't tried to hurt anybody or anything before that point. So don't know why all at once one of them tried to uh, grab a, a girl out of the house. You know, like I said, at that point, you know, something's definitely wrong. But yeah, yeah. Over the space of like the next three to four weeks, something like that. Uh, pretty much every night, some of them tried to come in to town by one route or another, and they were always met with stiff resistance from the guys on top of the buildings watching. And 
to that, you know, to the point where finally the last time they were seen, uh, there were just two of them that stood back in the woods against uh, along the street, the main street right around there was houses on one side and on the, the creek side it was just, you know, all trees and brush. And one of the, the uh, riflemen that was on top of the uh, police station, he could see that there was two of them that stood back in behind big trees along the main street side looking at the houses across the road and then they just faded away back into the brush and as of the last time I talked to anybody down there they hadn't been seen for quite a while since then. Wow. So so over the three weeks this was going on how many how many Uh, times did they actually have to shoot at them or get a you know shoot at them? Was it at least three weeks? Like every night? Yeah, uh, they kept, you know, the last time I talked to the lady at the store, they had finally uh, quit worrying about it because they hadn't been seen for uh, over a week. None had seemed to come in town. And they figured during that time, they know they killed at least eight. And God, it makes you wonder how many of them there were in that troop. Maybe that was part of the problem. Yeah, it's... Like I said, the last time that anyone was seen uh, was just the two that stood in the brush on on the side of uh, Main Street, and they had trees between them so that they couldn't get a shot at them. And uh, I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know what thermal hunting uh, scopes are. But they use just body heat to see and not optical. And uh, when you're looking through a thermal scope, if you hit something and it hits an artery, you can actually see the blood being pumped out of a body. Right. Because it's it's you know body heat is what you're seeing. So you can so tell if you hit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was how they know that you know the rifleman on top of the police station, knows for sure he got two because he was seeing arterial blood spurt as they ran away. And at that point, you know, you know, you know that they're going to die. But like I said, the, from the town, they they know for sure that they killed eight. And so, yeah, that would have been a major loss to any troop. And, uh, at the last time any had been seen, there was just the two that stood up in the in the trees and brush, and then basically faded away where they couldn't get shot at, and they haven't been seen around the town since. So basically, they they took out a big part of that troop, and the ones that were were left were like, okay, we know we're not welcome here anymore. So, yeah. The troop took a big hit. And like you said, how big was that troop? Because they've been going for many, many, many years where they didn't bother anybody. And it's like, you know, the the pig farmer that was down there along the river, they might hit him for a couple of larger hogs at one time during the, you know, 
fall for it all. And the guy that was across, the right. farmer across that had chickens, they'd hit for a few right. chickens. And, and they kind of hit about most that of before. Them. Yeah, that all the farmers yeah. knew it was them doing these things, but it was the depredations were so minor that it didn't really bother them very much. They didn't really care. Yeah, it's just you know they hit all the little farm for something, but they only took a little bit. Yeah, you know, not enough to really affect anybody. So it was a live and let live situation. Right. And uh, so when this escalated, you know, like you said, what was going on that they decided to try and you know one of them decided to try and bust your house to grab a child. You know, something that definitely changed the. For what we don't know, what yeah. brought that on? But at that at that point, now it's a danger to the community, so something had to be done. Yeah, yeah, I can see why they would have that attitude for sure. So obviously, you know, they're moving around in groups. He starts shooting at them. There's more there that are going to grab the wounded ones and make off with them. So, assuming they didn't come up with any corpses on this, was there any? Uh, Details from any of them indicated that they might have actually taken out the Alpha? Uh, to give you an idea, the first time that they came up, the ones that were shot there in front of the town meeting hall, mm-hmm. uh, these boys was big enough you know, that the guys that was on top of the building, they talked to me. They said that they didn't even have to, you know, they weren't on from the top of the building they were just basically kneeling behind the wall and shooting over the top. They didn't have to hardly shoot. <coughs> Excuse me, just a minute. Come back here, folks. <coughs> oh, sorry about that. Got the right throat there. Editing for. Yeah. <coughs> ah. But they weren't having hard, hardly aim down to shoot at these things. They were shooting almost straight across. And so they measured from the ground to the top of that wall was 13.6 feet tall. And so they estimate the one, the first two that come up to the top on that trail were over 12 feet tall. So they, they're figuring the the first two that were hit were like 12 and a half feet tall. Mm-hmm. And pretty much from what the other groups and all talked about, almost all the ones that were shot were somewhere in that range to maybe a little taller. So we're looking like 12 to maybe 13 and a half feet tall for just about everyone they shot. So, these so this wasn't big. a group of like uh, disgruntled gangbanger juvies that had ganged together and were causing trouble or something like that. These were the these were full grown adults. Yep, we're looking at full full grown adults. That's bigger than a lot of places that we've seen talk about. You're know, talking about ten foot talls, yeah. kind of smaller one. And you know, it's, like I said, the first one I ran into up here, we figured it's like ten and a half. Yeah, and everyone that ran into after that was, you know, in excess of, you know, twelve to thirteen feet. So these are all big boys and girls. 
Well, we just but, got yeah. done doing the Glag saga in the last year that Kevin was with Glag, and when they parted company, last time he saw him, Glag was you know somewhere between nine and ten feet tall, and he wasn't full grown yet either. So yeah, they get even bigger than that. So it makes sense to me. Yeah, like I said, when we were talking before, uh, here in uh, Indiana, you run it, you know, from me doing the cybers squatting as a lot of people call it, checking through what I can find on the computer here. It's not uncommon in Indiana. Probably uh, 65% of the run-ins here are of an aggressive nature. Hunters run into them when they're hunting and they're having to, to shoot them to get away. And a lot of the times, from what I've seen in the accounts of hunters running into them, it has been juveniles that attacked as soon as they've seen them. Mm-hmm. But it's usually like deer season where the guys got shotguns and they shoot them because they're, you know, racing toward them. As soon as they're shot, they run away. But, yeah. the, the, you know, the size range that most of these hunters are, are hitting, you know, being attacked is from about six feet to maybe seven and a half, eight foot. Right. at the most. So, so little dumb much dudes better. that don't know any better and they go after you and then they find out why everybody else doesn't go after you. Yeah, pretty much, you know, the deer hunters are running into them either in the early morning or kind of a little bit later in the afternoon, but it's light and they're hunting and they've got a gun. They get attacked and they shoot them and they run away. So, yeah, pretty much most of the time when the hunters have run into them, it's been juvies. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, it makes sense. Well, you know, a lot of the, the sightings that people have of the Bigfoot are, you know, six and a half to eight feet tall. <laughs> Sorry, folks, those are juvies, that, you know, unless you're in yeah. an area where the Bigfoot just don't get that big, which there are some areas like that down the deeper south where you don't typically see gigantic ones. But, you know, in a lot of the northern areas and stuff, you know, six to eight feet, they're kids. That That's not a full-grown adult. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure from what the, you know, what I was told when I was down there to get together, that you, pretty much they probably took the the alpha and the senior betas, for sure, out of that troop. And that's probably why you know they were just too seen the last time and they faded away. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the point got made. You don't come in here no more. No. If you know if the troops big enough for supply after that, I don't think they're going to have a problem. At least not for a long, long time. Yeah, but, you think you know all the troops may have even just relocated after that and went. Yeah, <laughs> we know what to expect here. Let's go somewhere else. Yeah, there's enough wooded area around there that yeah they they're either going to stay back where they're away from the town or they might just move on out of the area. But, yeah, for my cyber squatching, you know, around Indiana, like I said, probably 65% of the sightings are of an aggressive nature. And I've also seen that it depends on what part of the state you're in as to whether it's going to be kind of a benign encounter or a bit aggressive. Yeah, I've heard that from researchers over there, too, because I know a couple, two, three people over there in different parts of the state. They go to the same areas all the time, and, you know, some of them have really 
uh, fairly cordial relations with them. In other areas, it's like they they know of the same areas where they're going. Well, I don't go to this one because if you go over there, you like won't come back, and they'll crush you with a boulder or something. You know, so I just don't yeah. go squashing over there. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's kind of there. If you're like uh, southeastern Indiana, looking at you know most of the interactions in the southeastern part of Indiana are kind of benign, but if you're in southeastern, it tends to be more of an aggressive encounter. Wait, and you just said southeastern, both of them. <laughs> yeah. Up now, which north, one is it? You said southeastern is what, benign or aggressive? Yeah, southeastern tends to be pretty benign. You know, they see you, you see them, they kind of mosey off in a different direction and don't bother anybody. Okay. If you're in, you know, in southwestern, it's kind of a toss-up. Depends on, you know, which one you run into could be aggressive or not. But in northern Indiana, most of the encounters tend to be of an aggressive nature. Uh, kind of more up there, they don't, I haven't really found much attempts that where they're super aggressive where somebody gets hurt or anything and more like maybe they're just chasing them out of the area but they don't right. but then there are a lot of times where people they find a car sitting on the side of the road it's got a flat tire and the owner's nowhere around and can't be found or you know in some areas hunters go in and our car's there, the hunter disappears, and they never found. Uh-huh. So there are a lot of things like that where, you know, like I said, either a hunter or somebody that's car's broken down and they disappear. So, you know, you don't know what happened there. You know, uh, it could be a foot got them or maybe somebody abducted somebody. But, you know, you don't know what happened. No. No, that's sort of, well, you know, northern Indiana, you get down close to the Great Lakes there, you know. So that's that's where all of the, the Bigfoot start getting spooky and creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Up around the yeah. Great Lakes. Yeah. I, from what I've seen, the closer you get to Lake Michigan and all, in northern Indiana, the more hostile they seem to be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I said, other than some disappearances of people up in that area, really don't know what's going on there. But like I said, up in that area, deer hunters and stuff are running into them having to shoot their way out, or hunters go in and just disappear. God. Yeah, and you know, it's not just that area. I mean, you hear about certain areas of the south where that's and the east where that happens occasionally too, and it's just, you know creepy and spooky every time it does, and you always wonder if it's the, is it the local Bigfoot, is it some other cryptid, you know, are they, what's doing it, what's what's happening to these people. Uh, yeah. Really creepy stuff. So, wow. I mean, what a, yeah. what a situation for the folks in the town there. They had, so these guys were out there, like, on the rooftops every night until this whole thing was over with. That must have got like yep. it's like being in war. Yeah, it's pretty much. You know, I was surprised when I'm, you know, I was like I said, I was 
thinking somebody's going to get killed. That's God, what I was too. thinking. And then, you know, underestimated, you know, and like I said, it's how can me, being from a you know farm in the south, underestimated good old country boys, and then you throw in combat vets on the top, they tend to to come up with a way to get out of a situation. <laughs> so, you know, you're talking you more information. <laughs> what kind of what kind of sound traps did the is the Vietnam vet set up? Did they tell you anything about that? I'm curious. Yeah, basically, he showed them how, you know the Viet Cong, and they'll set up trip wires. Right. And, like, from what they told me, they were basically using, like, spider wire fish line, which is, a you know, what they got is a real dark green, and it's small. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you really don't see it. And it basically they just put that across the trails coming into town, and then they run it up where... You know, they set like 10 cans or something on top. So if something tripped those, you know, walked into that and knocked it over, you know, they had an indication of which trail it was on and they were coming. You could just hear the little tin can. This is like, I, I know somebody that used to do this to stop deer from raiding their garden. The deer would trip yeah. it and the cans would jingle, jingle, and then he'd go out and chase them off because uh, whatever seemed appropriate. <laughs> but yeah. uh, so no. It's interesting to me that they utilize this methodology successfully because what's everybody trying to do nowadays? Oh, electronic everything, and then it seems to fail. Yep. But they're they're using the old-fashioned no electronics involved, and maybe yep. Bigfoot can sense electronic stuff. So there's nothing yep. to sense there. Yeah, basically the only thing, the only electronics type stuff that they were using was night vision and thermal. Right, and that's right on their bodies. It's not getting anywhere near the, where the Bigfoot are. Yep. And just basically, like I said, they're running spider wire fishing line across the trails so that when they walk through, they, you know, knock the, knock the line loose and then they would know they're coming and what trail they were on. Yep. Yeah, that's an uh, in, ingenious and interesting way to deal with that. I'm just so happy that nobody in that town got hurt. And, you yes. know, it's too bad that uh, they didn't end up with a, you know, <clears throat> big old sample that we could go slap on a slab and present to somebody. But, you know, there you go. Yeah. And before I anybody said, else starts asking lots of silly questions about it, think about it. They're, like, not trying to prove they're real. They're trying to make them go away. They're not interested in taking samples. They're not interested in taking pictures. They want the monsters to go the hell away. They're shooting them. And that's all because one of them upped the aggression and tried to take somebody, take mm-hmm. a child out of a house. Yeah. You know, if it, if if that had, hadn't have happened, <clears throat> everything would have went on like normal for many years to come. Yeah. But when they crossed so, the line, you know, it, they they basically signed the warrant themselves when one of them tried to take a child from a house. At that God. at that point, okay, now it's you know it's a bad thing. We have to take care of this. Yeah, no kidding. Did an adult actually see that happen, or was it just the two kids and the thing broke broke the glass and they ran? You know, I had to tell them screaming. Uh, the the mother saw. Him saw him bash the window out and try to grab the little girl. 
Oh my God! It was. It happened when the mother was was walking into the room or was already in the room. It was, right. you know, besides the children, it, the adults saw it happen. So she got a clear look at it then. There's no question in her mind what it was. It wasn't, you know, like some Hollywood director in a gorilla suit. It was a Bigfoot. Yeah. She saw the arm come through the window to make the snatch at the kids. Jeez. And, you know, the the grab was close enough that at first, you know, she thought the kid was gone. But he didn't get a hold of her. You know, the kids just, you know, fell off the floor and, and you know, Luckily, it missed, but it was close enough that it really scared the lady bad. And it's like the next day, I think it was, was when, you know, the lady at the store called me. Yeah, well, the the immediate response after that. And then I remember you got a hold of me and went, hey, there's something bad going on over there, and I don't know what to do. I can't go help those people. I don't have guns, and I'm not mobile. And What should I do? Like, Give them some good advice. That's all you can do, man. I don't know anybody that I can send help with that. Yeah. Another good thing that that came out of it is, uh, like I said, the young man that come and picked me up is the grandson of the pig farmer that I knew. Uh, You know, they said they're going to come and get me if I want to. come down and they'll supply me with guns and all to come down and hunt coyotes and stuff for them where I don't have to walk and move around. And they'll have somebody that, that you know, stays with me, that kind of walks my back or I'll have company to do so. And I've actually have went down there once since then and, and stayed a day and a half down there of, and did some coyote hunting. You know, out, out on the pig farm and the chicken farm. So, you know, it got got me back out of the house, and I'm sure that this this summer I'll probably be able to do that more. So we right come on. up with something something good for me too. So, yeah. you know, the bad we gotta situation. Get we got to get you set up with a, a a wheelchair with tracks on it, so you got your own little <laughs> tank to roll around in. We got yeah. we got to get you set up with a. Uh, you know, it's come to my attention that a lot of the people that are squatchers and some of whom are really knowledgeable and good at it are getting to be old and crippled and can't get out in the field anymore. And so we need more wheelchairs with treads on them, first of all, and, you know, walkers yeah. with big beach wheels on them that can roll really good. And we need to start a group for all these people. You should actually be in charge of it. I'll, I'll put you in charge of it, and we'll, uh, we'll make it only for people that are disabled that want to, you know, still be squatching vicariously or otherwise. And yep. we can call it um, Group Investigating Mystery Primates, or GIMP, for short. Yeah, that sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> and you can be the man from GIMP. It's like the man from Uncle, only way cooler. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think I've still got connections. I come up with an old Sherman tank somewhere. <laughs> Well, there you go. You just put a little rocking chair on top of that, have the controls up there, and you're all set. You're good to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plus, it's nice and safe in case you get unwanted visitors. <laughs> you got the right kind of armor to keep you away from it. <laughs> yep. 
that would definitely be, you know, matter of fact, I think we come up with that before, didn't we? We got a, got a picture of, of a tank to go hunting in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice and safe. Yeah, the, the safest way to go mountain giant hunting and a tiger, too. Oh, my God. Well, I'm just, <laughs> man, I am so happy nobody got hurt and everything went okay as far as that end of it. I'm sad that whatever set up the, the Bigfoot did, I hope it wasn't like some random wandering Bigfoot that came through there and did something stupid and then all the locals got blamed for it. And, you know, you just don't know. But the, the locals in the past have exhibited aggressive, obnoxious behavior. You're the witness to that. So likely it was the same yeah. troop and just one individual got too far out of line but, yeah uh, you know god help i feel sad that they ended up getting their getting their butts shot but you know if you're going to be trying to steal children and after you get the friendly warning of being shot a few more times to not come into town you turn right around and do it again you know that's pretty yeah. aggressive and obviously hostile so i can't help but think that they actually dealt with it the right way yeah it you know it put them in a situation where it's like okay They've crossed the line. They've tried to hurt somebody. Now it's now it's a problem. Yeah, now it's on. We were we were living together for decades in relative harmony, <laughs> but when yeah. you're trying to attack one of us, then we you know. And this is typically probably one of the main reasons why they avoid us and why they don't want to be seen by us, because when a conflict yeah. arises, we just deal with it by everybody in the area gets their guns, their pitchforks, their torches. Go out into the woods, kill everything that moves, problem solved. And they know that. Yeah. You know, if they get too hostile and aggressive with us and we figure out who's doing it, they're in deep, deep trouble, and they know it. Yep. Like I said, my my run in down there, <laughs> where we had to, to shoot our way out, was in the, the late 80s, if I remember right. I know my... Like I said, my first encounter of all was with the Janosco, I think we think it's called, yeah. that was happened yeah. in Tennessee. Yep. And then, you know, years, years later, I run, in, run into them there in my hunting area while we're fishing and have to shoot our way out. Yep. And but then like you said, know, it's like 30 years later by the time one of them starts acting aggressive again. Yep. Many years later, and, you know, a little over 30 years later, and, you know, now they've got one that went past the point of no return. Yeah. You know, like I ran in, we ran into them down there and had to shoot our way out. Uh, they said, you know, when they're talking about, I guess, for, you know, several months after that, between six months and a year after that, you know, they were coming into town and, and knocking trash cans around or slapping on houses but after, you know, they didn't hurt anybody, but after a little while, it settled down and went back to what they'd been all along. Right. Business as yeah. usual. We avoid the humans. Yeah. They avoid us. We don't loot from them very much. Yep. Yeah. Wow, man. Um, you know, it's one of those things. Unfortunately, it may have just been, been one bad one out of the troop that crossed yep. the line, but... It put it put a situation for from one individual caused that where they made it where they had to be you know either run out of the area or killed. Yeah, and it seems to it took quite a big amount of the troop before they got the message. Unfortunately. <sighs> 
Well, and, you know, this isn't the only time this has happened. There's been outbreaks of hostilities between humans and Bigfoot critters for uh, hundreds of years, at the very least. Yep. We're going to have Bear on here shortly talking about the real story behind the Wolfler encounter. And that was yep. a native tribe having an, uh, a conflict with the local Bigfoot and uh, really serious stuff breaking out there, you know, so even more so than what you're talking about. Uh, you know, yeah. so this has happened before, and, you know, it's nice when they can actually, I think that's why they do it for the most part, let's hide in the background and just kind of not even let them know we're here. If we announce our presence, there's going to be trouble, and, you know, it may have been like we postulated in a few of the shows here that when there were big outbreaks of uh, disease brought over, waves brought over from Europe and uh, a couple different stages there that may have wiped out a lot of them, and at that point, they just you know, quit dealing with humans because apparently before that they had a, they were using the continent-wide trade language to trade with a lot of Indian tribes. But after the big wave of disease came through that wiped out most of the natives, they stopped doing that. So it may have affected yep. them and wiped out most of them too. And that was into cordial yep. relations. Yep. Like I said, here, here uh, from everything I've found over around Indiana, <laughs> you run at least 65% of the the encounters in one way or another are aggressive, mm-hmm. and it kind of, like I said, it kind of goes in in areas southeastern Indiana uh, tends to be mostly benign encounters where they're they're seen and you know don't bother anybody. But you go to southwestern Indiana, they tend to be more aggressive. Either you're being charged or run off out of the area. Or a person that's cars broke down, or somebody hunting just disappears. Never seen and, again. Yeah. Yep. Northern Indiana it seems to be mostly aggressive encounters, and it seems like the farther north you go toward Michigan and Lake Michigan, the more aggressive they tend to be. So it's one of those one of those things that you know depending on where you're at seems to be going to determine what kind of encounter you have if you encounter one. Yeah. Hey, bud, your signal's breaking up. I don't know if your battery's running low or what's going on there. but I got I got my phone plugged in. It may be, for some reason here where I live, it'll be a real strong signal most of the time. Every once in a while, it drops down a bit. Yeah, could but, be something. They're locally, they're running occasionally that's interfering with it. Well, let's just cut, get her cut it off here then because you pretty much got everything said right. Yep. Okay. Yep. I'm sure we'll have, have some more to talk about in the future. Maybe even join you in a roundtable discussion with somebody sometimes. <laughs> I actually would like to get you and a couple other people from Indiana on to talk about what the Bigfoot are like over in that part of the country and in states surrounding as much as you guys have been able to figure out. That would be a real fun, interesting one. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I could probably get Greg Yost and maybe Taylor on for that one, too. Yep, would love to. That'd be fun. All right, brother. Well, thanks a lot for coming on and sharing the update there. Really appreciate it. That's, uh, wow, man, that's some friggin' scary stuff. Uh, I kind of hope that doesn't happen to anybody else's town. But like I said, you know, uh, never can it, never know what's, what's going to happen to these critters exactly. And they're just like humans are, basically unpredictable. So. You get the good along with the bad. You get the good ones like lag, and you get the bad ones like the window breaker here. 
Um, you know, just like humans, some are good, some are bad. But again, thanks for coming on the show and sharing this with us, Lynn. Really appreciate it. Glad that you survived your fall and that you're out of the hospital. And uh, we'll definitely try and have you back here at some point in the future and have a little uh, roundtable discussion about stuff around that area. Yep, be glad to. Maybe we'll even have some more updates about it. Okay, brother. All right, well, All right. until next time, everybody, uh, take care, be safe, be uh, work, work toward making 2018 better than 2017 was. Let's all be kind to each other. First, first, safety first, last, and always. And remember, no matter what, please do not hug the Wookiee. See you later, everyone. Okay, that's it. Another awesome show. Thanks to Lynn finally <laughs> being able to get a hold of me. I've been waiting for Randy Wirtz for like eight friggin' months to come on and record now. He's so sick he hasn't been able to do it either. So yeah. you're not the only one. Yeah, but with me, it's a little bit of time to determine what kind of shape I'm in. Right? You know, have feel good or you know, curl up in a little ball or what. But unfortunately, this episode was, we're just in and out of the hospital, so we had enough information to be like messing with it for another home. God, your signal's getting so scrambled, I could barely even make out what you're saying. I guess we should, like, give up. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm hoping to have a, a decent new or rebuilt computer here at least shortly so I can start Skyping and whatnot again. And uh, as yeah. soon as I got that, I, we can start blabbing a lot more frequently like we used to, which I miss doing. I got a few friends that used to Skype with all the time I don't get to talk to now, so. Yeah. I'm going to keep our regular trust and hope that's pretty soon. I'm sorry, I couldn't understand what? I said hopefully that will be pretty soon and we can get back to doing that. Yeah. Sorry, dude, your signal's so bad I can't even make out what you're saying. It's just totally breaking up at this point. Okay, we'll holler at you later then. All right, buddy. Uh, yeah, I think you said goodbye. I think it's something to do with this call because I'm starting to get feedback in my head, too. Okay. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon then. Thanks, bud. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.